Welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for um, who we are and uh, as your children, and that we've come to know you as our Father. Lord, I ask you to give us the grace to live in reality, to live in um, in, in this sense of nearness to you, uh, doing what really matters, Lord, that we put that first. Holy God, uh, give us grace, give us mercy. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today. Uh, I've, I've got several stories to share from really the last weekend, over the weekend. Um, lots happening. It was my birthday on Saturday, um, but didn't really have a chance to do a lot because my, let's see, my two sons are on their school soccer team, and they had their soccer tournament on Friday into all day Saturday. And my senior at uh, at the Oaks, w- was on her, at her volleyball tournament, the end of the season volleyball tournament, which began on Friday and went through all day Saturday, all the way till Saturday evening at 9.30. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there was that going on. So one of the big things we do in birthdays is we get up and we have a breakfast together, but that didn't get to happen because uh, it was just a kind of a crazy weekend. So that got pushed onto Sunday, and Sunday, it was really nice. We uh, had a chance to um, go to the um, the High Mass at St. Joan of Arc, which is just so glorious that the singing is beautiful. The liturgy was uh, very reverent. And um, it was uh, one of the, it was the first, it was like sort of the first Mass tour of a newly ordained priest for the uh, priestly fraternity of St. Peter. And um, that was wonderful to have him there as well and um uh, and then afterwards we ended up going out to breakfast and it was really neat this was uh, this was kind of a cool god story because you're not always aware of how god's at work well um we ended up uh looking for a family that we were going to go out to breakfast with but they ended up going to an earlier mass and so um, my kids said hey why don't we call this other family it's another catholic family at the oaks and they live in Coeur d'Alene, and just called them up out of the blue and said hey do you guys want to come out to brunch? And they said, well, we've got a family visiting this weekend. And yes, indeed, it's another one of those families that I had spoken to over the summer as they were discerning, like, what do we do? How do we um, go forward? God, what are you leading us to do? It's a family with a whole bunch of kids and uh, trying to discern. And uh, they face, they're in one of those situations where they face um, the, uh, the lack of having any choice regarding exemptions for the vaccine mandate. And, uh, and for them, this was not uh, a direction that they were going to go in. And so it was like, well, we've got to find a way to move and trust that God's going to provide, you know, and that's a hard thing. You know, I, it's like when we, when you say trust that God will provide, you can be thinking about that in like small matters, like God will provide um, for um, uh, you know little things happening around the house or in our lives. Not you know we've just lost this job and we have to move from our home and our neighborhoods and our friends and our teams and uproot and come and transplant and move to another place. That is not an easy thing. There's a lot of suffering involved, especially when you've got kids in in high school and uh older kids like that and especially if there's no like 
if, if the primary thing that's happening is you're being pushed rather than being pulled or drawn to the area. And so uh, I had talked with the family and prayed with them uh, over the phone uh, in the summer. Well, I didn't even know they were in town. Well, they were staying with this other family and looking around and um, say a prayer for them. They put an offer on a house. I don't know if it got accepted. And um, and they're going to move here. Well, they, um, uh, they, I said, oh, bring them along for breakfast. So they came out and we were visiting and, and they were just talking a bit about this whole journey that they had been taking. And, um, and, they, and the husband said to me, he said, you know, we, as, as much as we experienced all of these positive signs and things while we were here, we were just saying if there was just one more thing, one more sign that we could get that would just really confirm that this was the right direction for us. And, and he said, it was your phone call. The, when I called and said, come on out for breakfast and then uh, for brunch, and then we had that brunch with them and just the, the flow of the conversation, it was like that, um, like that little uh, extra boost of energy they needed to say yes. I was going to say it's like a shot in the arm. <laughs> right? that, that's probably not an analogy I want to use in this instance. Uh, this was a spiritual shot in the arm to give them that sense of confidence to say, you know what, we can do this. We can trust that God who has led us this far, who has taken care of us in little things and in big things, he can take care of us in this too. And that's hard to be there, especially if you're, let's call it risk averse, right? If you're more conservative about like big changes and changes are hard. It's like, no, I like, I like what's steady and I like what's common and I like what's known. That's hard to move to the unknown. It, I get that. I really do. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why I've um, just felt this call to put so much more time and energy into like walking with families to help them make the journey um, out of like very painful and difficult circumstances into a better place, whatever that better place is. You know, it's like, I, I think uh, the, the theme um, that I, I had put out there quite a bit more recently is, you know, find your Egypt, which is find your refuge, which is find that place for your family that will be the place where you can get spiritual fathering in a parish with reverent liturgy and with a density of families where you can have community together and your kids can find um, fellowship and um, they can find uh, kids their own age to hang around with that have shared values and a shared way of life. And you can do that in a context, in a, you know, in a living situation that's not quite so toxic, right? So wherever that Egypt, wherever that place is, like Jesus and Mary fled to Egypt, you have to find that place for your family now. And, and I know that I know I say this to some members of the audience that are older, that are empty nesters, and that don't feel that suffering. They don't feel the pain and suffering that is on them because of what their kids are going through or what is like a tidal wave heading towards them for families that have younger kids and that are wondering, what am I going to do? And so as these like vaccine mandates are now like moving towards the level of children, like this has become more serious as well. So, you know, what I, I got to tell you, um, the way that this is all unfolding is just, 
it, it just made me say, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? And, and I had shared with you all that about a year and a half ago, I had discerned, you know, I should get my real estate license. I think this would be a, a good thing to do just for, for our own family as we are looking at houses and, and trying to take action and, and buy a house um, and, and, and that sort of thing. It's like, let me become a real estate agent. And a year had gone by and I was kind of running out of time to take the course. And I said, I'm just going to push through and do this. And so I did that um, in the month of August and in September, went through all the jumps and the hoops and the logistics to get all that stuff done. And I finally uh, got my real estate license uh, for the state of Washington in um, uh, less than a month ago. And it I, I got to tell you, the phone has the emails and the phone calls and the texts. Literally, the, since the day I got it, it's just like, oh, my goodness, the, the number of families is increasing. Well, it, with that in mind, it's like, all right, Lord, I think you're giving me all the signs I need to devote more time to this because it's, it's, it's not just like helping someone buy a house, right? That's, that's an easy thing. Oh, tell me what kind of house you're looking for. Oh, I can create a, a search and then hit enter and it'll send you emails with, the, with those houses on it, right? That's an easy thing. Um, and any, any agent can do that. But like, for me, it's like, all right, let's meet on Zoom so I can look you in the eyes. Let's pray. Let me hear your story. What's happening? Okay, what is it that you, you, you're trying to do? Okay, now, uh, what does that mean for your family? So just that whole process of talking and discerning and figuring out, um, are you supposed to stay? Or are you supposed to move? Are you supposed to move? Where are you supposed to go? And then if you go, what do you do with your house? And if you're going to sell your house, okay, how do you do that? Well, where are you going to move to? And then you start going through the process of, well, what are your family's needs and ages and stages of your kids? And where will you go to mass? And what where, what do you need in community? And, and what about schooling? And what ages are the kids? And so all of these things. And then there's the question of, and this has become greater and greater, Washington or Idaho, Washington or Idaho. And, and, and it's a lot of it is, do I want to get across the border and get away from laws and policies that are connected to the state of Washington? And, um, and, and honestly, when, when folks have come here, it's sort of been 50-50. You know, like the, half, of, half of them are like, no, you know, I can be in can be in the Spokane County area. I can be in Eastern Washington, and I get all the goods I want. I don't have to be out of the state. And there are those who are like, no, I need to be in Idaho. I don't want to have to support laws and policies through my tax dollars, and I don't want to face um, any other kinds of um, policies or protocols or mandates that will come that will impact citizens in the state of Washington. I just want to be free from that. So people kind of, you know, they end up landing where they land, right, in terms of what they want. Well, what that meant for me was, you know, I better become a real estate agent in the state of Idaho because so many of these folks, they want to look at homes in both places. And it's like, okay, well, if we're going to discern, like, where's the best place for you to go, then having that option is something that I ought to pursue. So I did some inquiries and called the real estate commission in the state of Idaho and found out, oh, look at this. I have to jump through these five hoops, getting like uh, these records from the state of Washington, Department of Licensing, and then uh, request a, um, 
exemption from having to take the course that I just passed the test from a month ago. Well, I still have to take the state course. Okay, great. Well, how do I sign up for that? And, um, and then, oh, I've got to get fingerprinted again, and I've got to uh, fill out these other forms. And it's like, okay. So, <laughs> well, lo and behold, it took me a, about a week. And um, uh, today, I passed the test. So I just have like two other little hoops to go through, and those are just administrative hoops. And I am now a, I will then be a licensed real estate agent in the state of Idaho. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So um, so here's where the humbling part came in. The humbling part came in was I found out on Friday that I could um, sign up for the test. And so I said, okay, well, let me sign up for the test and take the test on Saturday. And, and I did. And I failed. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you probably should study for this test. You probably would be better off if you actually study for this test because I heard it was really hard. And when I took the test and when I found out, it was really hard. It was like really the questions were very clever. And, and little like words like that turn of phrase and that word and that, uh, that, that conjugate, you know, that particular tense of that verb. I'm like, okay, what does that mean there? And oh, I was like, wow. And, and so I missed it by like four questions. And um, I'm like, I can do better. So I retook the test and um, uh, today and I passed. So ta-da. So praise be to God. Well, the thing was, it was very humbling it was very humbling to to fail the test. And I, I was like, wow, Lord, I, I think that was good for me to do. It was good for me to do to help me realize that um, what's unfolding in my life is a call. And as a call, it's a gift. And as a gift, it requires God's grace. And it's God's grace, but it also requires human effort. And so not just to take for granted the, the speed with which these things are happening, but realize, to realize as well, all right, Lord, I need to stay grounded. I need to stay humble. I need to stay open. I need to be available to um, really be listening to you, Lord, and to um, not get ahead of myself. So anyways, it was a, it was a real blessing to be able to, to pass that test as well as to, um, to be humbled along the way. So, with that said, um, the number of families that have reached out to me in terms of saying, Tom, I'm interested, has, has, it is growing. And um, not interested. I'm like, we need help. And it's like, all right, Lord, I'm available. If this is what, like, life in, in ministry and, and using my professional abilities means— to help families to get themselves to a better place in, in a better situation, that would be an awesome call. So uh, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I'll kind of finish off that theme and then move forward on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Dr. Tom Curran, and it's great to be with you. So I just was sharing before the break that... Um, I feel like the Lord has kind of pushed me into doing this work to help families find a, a better place, to find the next place for themselves. And, and it's really neat because it's seeming to blend together the, um, the, the spiritual side of things. So all that's involved in helping families to 
um, get to a place of, of peace, knowing that the Lord is with them, giving them some um, uh, guidance around here are things that others have learned along the way, and here's some questions to ask, and here's some steps to take as you're discerning. And then also just drawing on like um, the professional abilities that I've developed for 20 years working with owners, business owners, on growing their businesses and, and understanding the obstacles and how to get rid of them, understanding the assets and how to leverage them, um, helping them to assess the situation and then take action in a timely fashion. And it's like, wow. Those are all things that would make me like be able to be really effective as uh, a real estate agent helping people buy and sell homes. And it's been really cool. It's been really cool because, again, it's, it's more than just saying, okay, here's a home. Let's go look at it. It's been, no, like, let's help you discern, like, what's God doing here? And, and what do you want for your family? And what do you want for your kids? So just, it has been a really powerful. And then on top of that, oh, by the way, also saying, well, let me call the agent. Let me figure out what we're looking at here for price points and, and using those different kind of skills and abilities, too. Anyway, so um, just to say, it's like, God, you're so surprising, you're using gifts and talents that you have matured in me over the last couple of decades and the experiences I've had in um, buying and selling homes just privately, personally, in my own life and saying, I can weave all of this together to be at the service of God's people in um, if, if they're looking to move here. So anyway, so if that's you and um, you want to see like, what are you talking about, Tom? How is this different, and why is this valuable to me? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to help you. Um, you know, just to build up that density of families here, or to help you get to wherever it is God's leading you. I would love to be able to help you. And now I can do that in the state of Washington, and very, very shortly in the state of Idaho, like in a matter of days. I hope. So, um, praise be to God for that. And you know what? This. Uh, Oh, and if you want to reach out to me, just go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org. If you go to mycatholicfaith.org, you'll see there a button where you can contact me, and you can just leave me a message. Um, you can just contact me, and um, you'll be able to uh, reach out. Um, you'll, you'll be hearing some sponsor messages from me regarding this initiative as well um, in the next week or two, so that's pretty cool. All right, so let's, let's move forward. So all of this unfolded for me yesterday, and it is something that, uh, when I say yesterday, I mean the 8th, and I'm giving this program on the 9th, and these are two meaningful days for me. Um, the, I'm going to talk about the 8th last, because it's about my mom. Um, I want to talk about the 9th, because the 9th is about you. Um, now, what am I talking about? It's about you. It's, well, it's about the dedication of St. The Basilica of St. John Lateran. And the Basilica of St. John Lateran is it's one of the four major basilicas in the, in the Eternal City, in the city of Rome. And it is the, let's call it the cathedral of the Pope. Um, so did you hear that? Like, the Pope has a cathedral. The Pope has a church that is his, where his seat, where his see is. And it's not St. Peter's Basilica. St. Peter's Basilica is placed where it is, on the Vatican Hill uh, in Vatican City, because it is the place where St. Peter was buried. So the remains of St. Peter, you probably know this, are there 
Uh, down, down, down below, if you go down below to the excavations, if they've excavated the foundations of St. Peter, you go all the way down to the uh, the burial place of St. Peter. And there are, if you take the Scavi tour, the, sto- the, the tour of the excavations of underneath St. Uh, Peter's Basilica, they take you to a place where at the end of the tour, you get to see what are these collected uh, bones, these relics of likely St. Peter. So that's really cool. But the four major basilicas, St. Um, John Lateran, St. Paul outside the walls, um, St. Peter's Basilica and St. Mary Major. Well, St. John Lateran is the cathedral church. It's the, the church of, um, of the Pope. And uh, it's because it's St. John, John Lateran is St. John in Laterano. It's, it's built on the Lateran Hill. The seven, Rome has seven hills. You probably know that too. Well, uh, there are some powerful, um, powerful stories. I, I, I'd, say, I'd say very... I guess I would say this, meaningful things that have happened to me around St. John Lateran. I had the beautiful privilege of living in Rome for three years at the North American College and studying at the Gregorian University when I was a seminarian there in the um, late 80s. And um, I would love to go out to see these four major basilicas. And in particular, I would go there when folks would come to visit. And I would take them on, um, like on a tour of, of Rome. If they were there for a couple of days, we could go see a number of things. But one of the like paths through the city would be to go by the, the two basilicas that are right near each other, uh, the Basilica of St. Mary Major and the Basilica of St. John Lateran. And in the Basilica of St. John Lateran, um, one of the most, uh, one of the immediate things that just strikes you when you walk through the the, the main doors of the basilica is uh, are these statues of the of the twelve apostles, the eleven apostles in Saint Paul, that line the two sides of the of the basilica, and what is striking about these huge sculptures, these huge statues of the 12 apostles is that it shows each of them um, in a position connected to their martyrdom. And because as you know, um, 11 of these 12 apostles, right? So the 11 apostles and St. Paul, but St. Paul and 10 of the 11 apostles, not including Judas, uh, were all martyrs, right? The only apostle that didn't die a martyr's death was John the Beloved, John the Beloved Disciple. And so he died of old age, um, uh, probably in uh, Asia Minor. And so um, the, the manner of death of these apostles is what is sculpted. And you might stop and say to yourself, oh, that's pretty, like, morbid. Like, why would, if you can sculpt something about an apostle's life, why wouldn't you sculpt something about them that was connected to their triumph, their victory, their expression of the fullness of their living, their mission as apostles. And why would you put like on display 
like the manner of their death. Like for Andrew, it was uh, a crucifix in the shape of an X-shaped cross, right? It was an X-shaped crucifix. That's how he died. And um, another was skinned alive. And so there he is with the skin over his arm. And and you could just kind of go down the, the, down the list, right? Um, and what is striking is that, yes, in fact, by displaying the manner of their martyrdom, their death, you're, you're displaying the manner of their martyrdom, and their martyrdom is their manner of giving witness. And their manner of giving witness is a sign of their triumph over sin and evil and death. Yes, that which brought about an end to their human life was, in fact, their supreme expression of their mission on display. And so it turns on its head what we normally think about as it concerns our own lives. If martyrdom is this supreme witness, the supreme testimony of our following of Jesus Christ here on earth, why would we expect that our lives are going to give testimony, bear witness to our following of Jesus Christ in a manner that is only displaying humanly understood and humanly valued triumphs and victories. It's like, who here really is getting blessed? Who here is the one that was blessed? Who here is the one that was um, most uh, extravagantly blessed by God? Is it the one who, in human terms, is uh, living a life of, of grandeur and comfort and ease? Or is it the one who is experiencing trials and tribulations and sufferings after the manner of Jesus Christ walking the path of his passion to his death on the cross? And it's like, I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty or make anybody um, like stop and say, what am I praying for? Maybe I shouldn't pray for good things to come that I value as good and the world sees as good. Maybe I should be praying for more of those pains and tribulations and sufferings if that's what's going to bring me closer to Jesus Christ. And, and it's like, well, our tradition doesn't say it like that. Our tradition spiritually, in her incredible wisdom, proposes that the attitude to have, the attitude to seek, is called indifferentia. Indifferentia is what? Indifferentia is not being indifferent in, in, the, in the normal meaning of the English language, which means I don't care. But instead, it's a slight difference that makes all the difference. It means I do not prefer. So in Indifferentia is a spiritual attitude of saying, Lord, I, I don't prefer one good over another. Because I just proposed like two alternatives that could easily have been identified as opposites. And just like opposites in a way that said they are radically opposed to each other. So one was this experience of the abundance and and uh, having uh, like this overwhelming sense of 
my human needs cared for, right? And, and those are good things that people want to, to pray for and ask for and seek. And yet at the same time, there's that other reality of trials, tribulations, and sufferings. And it's like, well, if, if I don't have to say I prefer one over the other, what that's saying is, is that, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And, and so there was this test for indifferentia. Antonio Rosmini, um, an Italian philosopher and priest and founder of the Rosminians or the Institute of Charity, the Institute of Charity, that's meaningful because it was uh, indicative of the idea that whatever you do, choose to do out of love. Let love drive you forward. And so the question is, uh, Rosmini asks, is are you indifferent? Are you, are you living indifferentia? And he did it in the firm of four questions. The first question was, do you prefer... Or are you happy with, another way of saying it, do you prefer or are you happy with a long life or a short life? Do you prefer or are you happy with sickness or health? Do you prefer or are you happy with riches or poverty? Do you prefer or are you happy with fame, or obscurity. And, you know, you, when you say it like that, it doesn't it kind of like clear the perspective a little bit? Uh, it does for me. It does for me because, you know, let's just be honest. Do you prefer like a long or short life, a sickness or health, riches or poverty, fame or obscurity? That's really easy. Give me the long, healthy, rich, famous life. Or if I have to give one back, a long, rich, uh, happy, uh, yeah, long, rich, happy, and obscure life. Yeah, it might be better to be unknown, <laughs> especially if I've got those other things. And it's like, who would not do that? Who would choose the alternative things? Who would say, well, I prefer a short life marked by sickness and poverty and obscurity. And, and it's like, boy, someone must have some kind of like, like mental challenge to be able to say, I would prefer those things. And again, the, the purpose of this way of framing things is to get us to an attitude of indifferentia because there is an answer to the question, do you prefer one or the other? And the answer is, are you ready? Lord, I prefer what you prefer. I prefer what you prefer. So the, indif the indif indifferent person is the one who says, Lord, I'm receptive. I'm open. I'm available. I am ready and willing to be led into a long life, if that's what you have for me. But Lord, if what you have for me is a short life, amen, let it be so. And the same for the other three. Lord, if what you have for me is riches, I'm open to that, Lord, and I will receive them, and I will act as a steward. But Lord, if you have something different for me, if you have poverty, then I'll accept that too. I'm willing to be led into that. 
and then the same with sickness and health, and fame and obscurity. These are really important things to consider as we're striving to live well today, right now. More on this in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So I just shared these four questions for indifferentia. And, and let me give you a different word. Um, it's a word that you've probably heard me use quite a bit on Sound Insight because of its importance in the theology and spirituality of St. John Paul II and Hans Urs von Balthasar. Um, and that's the word docility. Or another way of saying it is receptivity. Or it's the radical willingness and availability to be led. And that is so critical in our life of faith, the willingness to be led. And I do a lot of work with leaders. I do lots of work in terms of helping form leaders, grow leaders, challenging and stretching them to um, uh, even greater um, influence and impact as leaders. And and there's so many traits that you can identify with a good, strong, solid leader. And at a human level, it's they're willing to take initiative. They're willing to go first, right? You've heard me talk so much about stand up, step out, speak back, push back, right? And a, a lot of that is traced back to this fundamental idea around leadership is not holding back and hanging back, but taking initiative. Well, let's put something else onto that. And there's something else to put onto that is um, it's not just taking initiative, but from the standpoint of faith, it's that the strongest, greatest, most fruitful leaders are not the ones who are the strongest at taking initiative, but rather they're the ones that are the strongest at being available to be led. They are completely docile to the movement of the Holy Spirit. They are completely available to the promptings, the nudges that say, go do this, go say that. And, and those things sound easy because those are like very discrete, specific, like, or actions like go say this one thing and then you're done go do this one thing and then you're done no we're talking about a more global approach to life that says father i say yes in advance to whatever it is you ask of me lord if i have a sense that what you ask of me is coming from you I say to you, I will do it. I will not question it. I will not push back against you. I will not withstand you. I will not um, speak out against you. No, I will follow you, Lord. And sometimes that kind of availability to be led, that radical willingness to be drawn into a path that I didn't conceive, didn't imagine, and didn't even want or plan for. But if that's what the Lord wants, then I say yes to it. So I'm going to encourage you to just to pray that way. Pray in that spirit of docility. 
Pray in that spirit of the willingness to be led, the indifferentia prayer. And just even saying it, praying a prayer of indifferentia, just saying it is a little bit scary because it's like, did you actually take me at my word, Lord, when I said that? Because it just might lead you where you would not go. That was St. Peter when at the end of the Gospel of John, he asks Jesus, hey, what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said to Peter, look, don't you worry about him. When you were a young man, you went about as you would. But as you, when you get older, they're going to take you by the hands and they will lead you where you would not go. They will lead you where you would not go. And I have pondered that. Um, and I compare that to Abraham. Because remember the call of Abraham, and it's it's told in like Genesis 21, I believe. Um, but in Genesis 12, it shows the unfolding of it. Because you have in Abraham's life this fundamental reality of docility where God called Abraham and said to him, go uh, uh, leave your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. And, And it's like, do you see the radical docility there? The Lord prompted Abraham to take an action that was big. It was a big deal. Like, leave home. And it wasn't, it wasn't leave home and go there. It was leave home and go, and, and I'll, I'll lead you. I'll get you where you're going to go. I know where you're going. You don't have to know where you're going. You just have to know that I'm leading you and just follow my leading. And the Lord went. I'm sorry, the Lord went. <laughs> Abraham went as the Lord commanded him, and he was blessed. And then later in Genesis, where the Lord calls out to Abraham again, Abraham, and he says, not what, not like my kids, especially my teenage boys, what? No, he says, ready. He says, ready. That's docility. That is docility. So today, I encourage you to do this. Lord, whatever you want from me regarding my career, I say, ready, Lord, lead me, even if it's to where I would not go, to do what I wouldn't be necessarily attracted to or think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. No, Lord, lead me and give me the grace to say yes, even if it means going to a place where I would not go. Pray the ready prayer. Pray that prayer. Lord, please give me the grace to be ready and to say to you, ready, when it comes to not just the job that I'll have, but where I'm living, what mass, what parish, what, how I take action regarding these mandates for the good of my, uh, of my family, the, the spiritual and physical and total well-being of my family. Uh, I'm going to, Lord, what would you have me do? And and this is going to be stretching, right? It's just going to stretch us 
because it's going to lead us into uncomfortable conversations, into actions where we find ourselves in conflict with others that are around us, not intentionally, not that we're seeking it, but if we dare to stand up, speak out, and push back, well, we're going to find ourselves in conflict, not what we desired. We just, what do we, what do we want to do? Just want to follow, Lord, what do you, what do you want us to do? And it, if, if it hasn't become clear in the last several years, if it hasn't become clear in the last year and a half, if it hasn't become clear in the last month, I don't know how much clearer the Lord is going to need to make it for us. I, I just pray. I, I can tell you for, for years now I've prayed, Lord, give us charity or give us calamity. Give us charity. Give us the fervor of love the fervor of divine love burning in our hearts so that we would live our lives from that burning passion, that the Lord would be glorified, that the church would stand up, speak out, and be a light and salt and leaven in this world today. And Lord, if we don't respond with the burning love of charity stirred into flame in our hearts, then Lord, bring calamity. Bring calamity to shake us loose of sinful attitudes and ways of living. Shake us free from settling for less than being fervent witnesses, real martyrs. This is the feast of St. John, the the dedication of St. John Lateran. Let's pray that we would be dedicated, like these 12 apostles, to live our faith. Now, let me come back to St. John Lateran, the uh, dedication. So if you look at St. John Lateran from the outside, you'll notice a building next to it, it's almost like a, a like a like a grain barn, I think, or a grain bin. You know, on farms, you'll like they're kind of cylindrical, and they're really big, and they're kind of next to barns. Uh, gosh, I, I should probably know more about farms, <laughs> just to say that. But you know what I mean. And it uh, next to Saint John Lateran, there's this really big cylindrical looking. It's not actually cylindrical. It's actually octagonal. It's an eight-sided building, and when you walk inside it, there's what looks like uh, a marble, like above-ground pool. Well, kind of above-ground, because it's somewhat above-ground, but it's also like in the ground. So it's like, what in the world is this thing? Obviously not a church, but then you, you think about it, and you're like, oh, that looks like a pool. If you put water in that pool, guess what this would be? Yes, indeed, the largest baptistry that you will have ever seen. And so for a time, uh, it was a uh, for large, important churches, one of the options was to um, build these baptistries right next to the big, big, beautiful basilicas. The architectural reasons why, I don't know. But uh, there's some beautiful meanings to be found, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. It's the Feast of the Dedication of St. John Lateran. And I had the privilege and blessing of living in Rome. And so I made a number of trips to St. John Lateran, especially when folks were in town. I'd take them there. It's just one of those not-to-be-missed, beautiful locations. And um, I mentioned already that when you walk in, you have these beautiful 12 
apostles' statues, including St. Paul, in the manner of their death, and, and that's the call to us to be these fervent witnesses, which we'll become, if we're willing to be led, where we wouldn't go. So that real call to docility, that real call to uh, being ready, and, and to pray for that, to pray for that. Well, one of the graces that will help us to be docile comes from that building right next to St. John's St. John Lateran, which is this baptistry. And when you go into the baptistry, you'll see some of the meanings of baptism that just aren't quite as obvious in um, our own modern experience of baptisms, which often involve a small amount of water poured onto the forehead of a baby. And it's not that that's not legitimate and invalid and all those other beautiful things, but the richness of what's actually happening in baptism becomes a little clearer if you go into this baptistry at St. John Lateran. Um, one of the things you'll notice when you go in there is that it looks like there are like there's two gates on opposite sides of this um, octagonal pool. And it it looks like, oh wow, these are two different like stairways into the pool and into this bap- baptismal font. And the answer is no, that's not correct. It's actually one is the way in and one is the way out. And it's uh, three steps down and three steps up. And there's a meaning to this. So if you were to enter into this baptismal pool, taking the three steps down is a sign of the one being baptized going down into death along with Jesus Christ. So that being baptized is a manner sacramentally of connecting us, of intimately bringing us into communion with, transformative communion with, Jesus Christ in his passion and death on the cross, his descent among the dead. That reality is symbolized in the going down into the, uh, into the pool in these three steps. And what that's saying is, is that all of us who are disciples of Jesus, all of us who are baptized, are going to experience in one form or another conformity to Jesus. We will be conformed to his passion. We will be grafted in, if you will. We will become spiritual partakers of, as the body of Christ in his own passion. So don't be surprised when suffering comes. Don't be surprised when trials come. Don't be surprised when Jesus says, if you are going to be my disciple, you must abandon your life, take up your cross every day, every day, and follow me. That is really something. And so um, so that's just going down into the pool. But wait a minute. Our conformation to Jesus and baptism isn't just about being united with him in our passion in, in his passion and death and burial, but in his resurrection from the dead. And so you have these three steps going up. And oh, by the way, when you're in that water, you are dunked. And so there would be a complete immersion, a complete immersion, because baptism means to plunge or to immerse. And so there's a complete plunging of one's own life into the life of Christ, into Jesus Christ. 
And so many rich symbols here, the symbols of water. Water is obviously cleansing on the one hand. Waters also symbolize chaos. So being plunged into chaos, but then also being plunged into the cleansing waters of baptism. So many beautiful imagery of water being a source of life. And, and, and this would happen um, back in the uh, early centuries. Um, uh, the, the baptized would be stripped of their clothing before they entered into the water. So entering in naked was a sign of being stripped of this <clears throat> world, of the things of this world, and of sin. And, um, and so then, coming through the baptismal font, after being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that is the most fundamental transformation that happens in baptism. So not only are you being cleansed from, it's that you're being cleansed for. And what you're being cleansed for is the being plunged into the very life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you're baptized in the name or in the reality, in, in the, the very divine divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's a new creation. It's an act of new creation. It's a sign of being plunged in the life of God, and that's symbolized by going up the three stairs. And when you come up the three stairs, uh, historically or traditionally, there would either be like some artistic representation or actually um, a small pottered tree, which is symbolizing what? The tree of life. And so what Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden so that they would avoid now, through Jesus, his death on the cross, the new tree of life, we come into uh, an elevation of our own fallen humanity to a sharing in God's divinity, where we are now children of God. His spirit lives in us, and we cry out, Abba, Father. I call this a new creation, and that's symbolized as well in this amazing baptistry by the baptismal pool having eight sides. Well, what, do eight, what does the number eight stand for? Well, as you know, seven days in creation. And if you take a look at Jesus in his passing over from death to life, his paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, what do we know about this? Well, he was crucified on the sixth day, buried on the seventh day, and he rose on the, well, seven days of the week. This would be a, a first day. Yeah, but it's, it's the eighth day, if you count it in a row, but the eighth day is also the new first day. And so the number eight here is symbolizing this new creation. The old creation is this seven-day week, but Jesus died on the on the uh, sixth, buried on the seventh, and rose on the eighth day. So it's a symbol for new creation. It's a symbol for final victory over sin and death, and that's what we are plunged into in our baptism. And so, on this feast day of the dedication of Saint John Lateran, what a beautiful thing for us to reflect on that our fundamental identity, our deepest identity, and our lasting identity is not found 
in life on earth, long or short, life on earth, rich or poor, life on earth, sick or healthy, life on earth, fame or obs- famous or obscure. Those things pass. Those things don't endure. What endures is our union with Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, what do I prefer? I prefer a life that will yield the deepest and most profound union of my life with yours. Knowing that, Lord, you want to use my life as a place where you can show up on this earth. Did you hear that? Isn't that beautiful? Think about that. That by your being conformed to Jesus, he is saying, I intend to use you as a place of manifesting my glory on earth. I will use your life as my child to shine forth the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, into this world. All of that in a baptismal font. All of that uh, important enough for the Catholic Church to build an entire separate building for the reality of baptism. I don't think we appreciate that enough. And so on this feast of St. John Lateran, I encourage you several things. First of all, pray for our Pope. That's his church. It's the Pope's church in Rome. And so let's pray for Pope Francis, for his spiritual well-being, for blessings, for the goodness and graces of God that he needs to shepherd our church in accord with God's plan. Let's pray for readiness. Let's pray for docility on the part of bishops, that they would discern and take action in accord with God's call for their lives, and that we would follow suit. We would be willing to say yes in advance. We would be willing to say ready, to pray that ready prayer, so that in little things, in bigger things, and in the most important things, Holy Spirit, we yield to you. Holy Spirit, we say yes. Holy Spirit, please prompt in us what it is you want us to do and give us the grace to do it. If we can do that, we will live today's feast day in the most important ways. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. Thanks so much for walking with me. And uh, please join me tomorrow. Look forward to it. God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.